You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week has been a long time coming. I say that all the time, but it's it's this is one of them, guys. Uh, my buddy Bobby Darling from Gatsby's American Dream, uh, from Search Rescue. He's a, a co-writer, songwriter, just an all-around uh, amazing dude. And uh, Gatsby's was one of the first bands that we toured with, that we really became friends with uh, right in the early days of Anatomy of a Ghost. And just we talk about the family atmosphere that kind of created itself uh, amongst us. We talk about um, that healthy competition between bands trying to one up each other and being so excited when we wrote a new riff on how the other person was going to feel about it and, and all that. So, uh, it's a cool one. And, but guys, this is a, uh, pretty serious conversation as well. We delve a lot into Bobby's childhood and a lot of the, uh, lyrical content on ribbons and sugar, which is one of my favorite records of all time. It's in my top five. It's, it's a perfect album. But it means so much to me partially because of the time I spent with Bobby going over uh, those lyrics. He and I, you know, late at night on tour, you know, the stuff he went through as a child uh, was pretty brutal. And there's a lot of triggers in this uh, in this episode uh, for trauma survivors. And uh, so a heads up on that. If uh, you're sensitive to that, definitely listen with caution and uh, don't have kids in the car with you when you listen to this episode. But I wanted to capture a real time uh, analysis of ribbons and sugar with Bobby and, you know, 
go through as much as he, you know, would want to, to, uh, to go, which is kind of where this, it's kind of where the show goes a lot of the time. It's not something we're really seeking out to go to the dark spots, but a lot of times those come out because it's just a, you know, a conversation and, and, you know, I don't try to dig into those things, but in this case, I really wanted to capture that because it, it's something that's it's special because he put it out there for so many people on that record. And I don't think a lot of people understood that um, where those lyrics were coming from. I know there's a lot of um, animal farm references and things like that, especially with the title. But the real uh, substance to that that record is his upbringing, uh, his mother and, and uh, the absence of father. And uh, I'll let you guys listen to it and uh, and see for yourselves what I'm talking about. But I really appreciate Bobby coming on the show and being so honest and, and forthcoming with with information that I was asking about because it's it's important. People need to hear, uh, you know, not just the the negative, but also the positives that come out of things like that. And uh, there's a pretty beautiful moment in the conversation uh, where he learned a lot from from uh, a big event, and you guys will hear about that too. So, cheers to Bobby for coming on. It's his, I think it's his first podcast, maybe second. Um, you know, a lot of people are kind of hes- hesitant to come on because they don't think they have anything to say, and uh, Bobby absolutely does have things to say that are important. And I'm glad we got that done. and And uh, I felt so good after this because it it was kind of cathartic, uh, not for me, for him, but you know, for me, I take a lot of things from these conversations and I feel inspired and touched um, by what people share with me. And and so I came away from this uh, feeling almost exhausted and uh, inspired at the same time. So hopefully that makes sense. I'm, I'm trying to put it into words, but, um, you know, Bobby said, you know, how it was a cathartic for him to revisit these things and and speak about them again in long form. So anyways, I'm rambling on and on, but this was a really special episode. I've been wanting to do it since the beginning of the podcast and uh, finally got it done. Bobby and I were able to reconnect. Thank you to Johnny Minardi for putting us back in touch. Um, Hopefully you guys enjoyed his episode too. It was just last week. Uh, That was an awesome chat as well. All right, guys. So let's get some business out of the way first. Uh, Peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. PeerPleasurePod at gmail.com is the email if you want to get in touch with me, guest ideas, you know, uh, questions, comments, uh, and absolutely go over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, and write us a review. It really helps the show out, and I love seeing those reviews come in, uh, you know, good or bad. I, I just love that people are listening, and I know I say that every week, but when those reviews come through, it's 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 awesome to see that people are actually listening to what's going on and taking something from, you know, what we're doing here. So um, we've got a lot of big things in the works uh, coming up soon. I'll be able to talk about those hopefully soon. And uh, yeah, super excited for the future and uh, lots of stuff coming up for you guys. So uh, I definitely want you guys to check out uh, Thunderbolt Guitars over on Instagram. Uh, That's another sponsor of the show. They built me a custom uh, Tele Deluxe with aluminum neck uh, and hand-wound P90s. Uh, it's a badass machine and you guys can head over there now and uh, hit up Nick and tell him what you want, tell him what you want him to do. And, and he will make it happen. Guy's a genius. So, uh, check out Thunderbolt guitars over on Instagram. Um, you know, give them a, give them a like at least, or a follow and just see what they're doing, uh, and spread the word just like you do with this show. Word of mouth is number one, um, in spreading anything for, for shows, bands, 
products, you know, if you hear it from a friend, you're a lot more likely to check it out than just seeing it online. So with that being said, guys, uh, this intro went really long and I'm sorry, but uh, Bobby is a dear friend. He's very special to me and his story is important to me and hopefully it is to you. Uh, one more time, there are some triggers in this conversation. So if you're sensitive, a trauma survivor, trauma survivor and sensitive to to some of these subjects of um, you know, substance abuse, domestic abuse, suicide, uh, definitely listen with caution and, uh, no kids in the car, please. I don't want to get those emails. <laughs> All right, guys, without further ado, let's talk to my good buddy, Bobby Darling from Gatsby's American Dream. Excellent, because yeah, it was it was really uh, it was really with the earbuds are so weird. Sometimes they sound crystal clear, and then other times they sound like complete garbage, and I can never figure out what makes the difference. Yeah, I can't figure it out either. <laughs> There's sort of, sort of like a wacky ass like delay thing that goes on. I can't I hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, so dude, yes, I so I hit up Minardi because I was like, 
I was trying to think like, oh, man, I got to get Bobby's contact info. And I had just talked to Minardi on the show and, I, and we had talked about land of lost monsters quite a bit. And, uh, ah. so that was like another trip down memory lane. And then, uh, I was like, dude, can you connect me with Bobby? He's like, hell yeah. So he, he did. And there it was. So that was awesome. I shout out to Johnny, one of the best people in the business. Um, as you well wow. know, Minardi's amazing. Like that guy is like, uh, I wish, I wish there were more people like that in the world. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a rare occurrence to have someone like that in the, in the biz. For sure. I, I always, I talk me and Minardi keep in really good touch. Like we, we text throughout the year about just random music we're listening to and just fantasy football and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, we, we always start going down these, like, what if, you know, scenarios, like, what if Gatsby's had just stayed with Minardi's little label and uh, and not signed with a bigger label and just kind of kept stuff DIY with him. And we, we both are just like, oh, why didn't we do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He also said, he also said, because I was telling him I wanted to talk about a lot about ribbons and sugar because that was, like, my first uh, foray into Gatsby's because I, I don't remember. I'm trying to remember how I first heard it. And I, I'm kind of remembering, but uh, he texts me randomly. He's like, if you don't mention Land of Lost Monsters, you're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, dude, yeah, the first, the fir- I mean, it's been a long time. It's been a really long time. I'm trying to remember the last time we saw each other was probably when Gatsby's played at the club I was working at in Portland. Uh God, I don't even remember the tour it was, but uh, it was like a, I was working security, like in between tours with other bands I was playing with and, and you guys came through town and I'm trying to remember who it was with. Um, I wanted, I, I, I kind of, I remember that cause it was a venue. I think we only played once. Like it wasn't open for super long, right? It was open for a long time, but you only played there the one time. Yeah. It was like a, it was a new incarnation at that same building. Oh, okay. So it was a different different name of the venue. Yeah, I think that was with uh, Bearbird Shark and Name Taken. Is that right? No, no, because it was just no, you guys no. were the only band I knew on the bill. Um, oh, dude, I don't, rem- was I don't it, remember. Was it the newer location for the Meow Meow? Yeah, yeah. It was the B B Complex or not B Complex. It was called uh, either Loveland at the time. Yeah, it was called Loveland at the time. That's it. That totally sounds familiar. Oh yeah, there was. Yeah, I think that was like some random bill we were on because we were heading down to California to hook up with some other tour. Yeah, it was some weird. Yeah, it may have been. You guys may have been headlining that. I don't remember. But uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think there was like a, a bunch of random bands were playing, and it was like I think we played. And do, do you remember that band em- Emery? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think they might have played too. If, if I'm thinking of the same show. Maybe that was it. Yeah, I don't remember. But, yeah, it's been a long damn time because that was back oh, before 2010, even. Like, it's been over 10 yeah. years. And then everything everything you've been doing, like, I've, I've kind of heard here and there where it was like you did uh, Search Rescue uh, with Ryan and – mm-hmm. and someone had given me that record to check out. Maybe it was Casey. Maybe it was when – man – I'm I'm beginning to remember I was up in Seattle for a while and I was managing a couple bands and one of them was working with my cousin Alan Combs. You may have met him. Uh, he was I know, engineering. I know Alan. I love 
Okay. I love Alan. Yeah, Alan actually he did some engineering on that search rescue record. Perfect. Maybe he's the one to get that's my cousin. He he uh I hooked him and Casey together a long time ago because he was looking for work as an engineer. And I know Casey had stuff going on, you know, left and right. And it was in that weird house that he was like renovating upstairs. Yeah. And um yes. so then I would get so I got that record on like this is rad. And then like hearing about your, you know, co-write stuff and and all the songwriting stuff you're doing. And then it was Bobby's a flight attendant. And I was like, wait, what? And then so it's like this whole like uh second uh what do you call it? It's like the game of telephone where you hear a story, you know, from someone from that heard it from somebody else. So there's always this separation. And I always meant to reach out and like try to get back in touch, and I just never did, which happens all the time. But yeah, uh, for sure. It was so cool to watch, you know, or, or just at least kind of on the sidelines, you know, hear all that stuff going on and, and the different musical ventures and, and things. And then Johnny talking about you working with Portugal and stuff like I was like, man, this is just like meant to be kind of stuff, uh, which is which is <laughs> awesome. And then I had Kirk on the show and uh, yes. we went back down. Remember, it's like stuff I'd never even known about. <laughs> and uh <laughs> that was a crazy episode. He was, yeah, he had lots to, lots to talk about, which was awesome. Um, yep, yeah, that was the first, that was the first episode I heard of, of your show. Uh, my, my brother sent it to me. He was like, you are going to die hearing these stories from Kirk. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> the, the story about like the, the nudist colony and stuff. I was like, just die. <laughs> Dude. Yes, exactly. That, that's the kind of shit that was just so funny. Like stuff I had no idea about because, we had only been together doing those tours and just in the early days, like once you guys signed to fearless, like it was a whole nother ball game. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I was out of it at that point. So like that was hearing about those times was awesome too. Like what ended up, you know, going on, you know, on different tours that I wasn't on. Cause those first few, I mean, I remember uh, going back to like, we played a show. I think our first show we played together was at Pacific Lutheran university. And yes. it was like, so John, I don't know how John met Nick or somebody, maybe it was you, but he, they gave him ribbons and sugar and why we fight. And so he's like, there's this band Gatsby's American dream. And when John gets like a CD, he likes it, it back then, especially it was like, uh, it was on all the time. Anytime he was in the front seat of the van, it was on. So like he would like wear you out on stuff like he was it was Gatsby's and it was Mars Volta. Then it was RZA. And then like he would just go for days just listening to the same thing. And so it was basically leading up to that show. It was why we fight ribbons and sugar, why we fight ribbons and sugar. And uh, he's just like, they don't have any choruses. Like, what is this? Like and so it just became this super interesting thing is it's like this is the band we're playing with, you know, tomorrow or whatever get there, play the show. And it was some weird weekend. I'm trying to, and I'm going on a tangent here, but like it was Pacific Lutheran university, which was a college show. So we had like catering and stuff like college shows always had money. So oh, yeah. it, it was totally awesome. We had like a green room and, and food. And then we went up, we weren't on the show, but we went up and watched you guys play at in Bellevue at that rec center or something the ground zero right? ground zero yes and you guys like almost yes. had to stand on your amps there were so many people in there and uh <laughs> that was the first time we really saw like a hometown nearly hometown band playing at home to that many people and then it all made sense 
Like it was weird. We played for like, I don't know what, 20 or 30 people at that Pacific Lutheran University drive, you know, yeah. uh, that's what, t- Tacoma or something and drive, you know, an hour north. And it's just packed and insane like a band's been playing for 20 years. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing. And then we would go play random like VFW halls and stuff for 10 people or, or 20 people. It was so crazy. Uh, those- those were the best shows. Like I, I loved playing those like VFW halls with you guys and with like Fear Before the March of Flames and like or playing like a pizza shop or a comic book shop where you're like playing on the floor and there's like maybe maybe like you know there's probably 15 people there that are just there because they were probably trying to buy a comic book, but <laughs> but there's like two or three there's two or three that know every word to the Anatomy of a Ghost song or they know every word to the Fear Before song and it's just like where did these kids come from? How did they hear about us? <laughs> exactly, it was, it was nuts, and it was the I mean it was the same for both of us where we were both kind of coming up at the same time and like we were texting about earlier like it was kind of like this friendly competition of trying to one up each other, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was so, it was like this, yeah, really like fun, like healthy competition to where it's, and, and you're talking about like, you know, sitting in your room, writing a riff, like, Oh, these guys are going to flip out when they hear this, you know, like <laughs> that's what was going on. It was so weird and, and awesome at the same time. Like it was this whole, whole little caravan of, uh, you know, and, and it's it's funny because we had, we were I think we were in maybe we were introduced to you guys from the Fear Before guys. Maybe that's where John got the stuff because we had barely met the Fear Before guys recently before that. Yeah, and I he, felt like it was it was some it wasn't that though that that was like a weird happy coincidence that you guys were mutual friends with them because like we ended up playing that PLU show with you guys and. I hadn't heard of you before that. And Nick was like talking about this band anatomy of a ghost. And he's like, these guys are like the craziest live show you've ever seen. Everybody's all this buzz, all this excitement. And I was just like, fuck yeah, let's go play with them. <laughs> Plus it was a college show and the college shows, even if you play to 15 people, they pay you really well and feed you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I was like, let's do it. <laughs> it must've been Nick but, um, and John that were talking then because that, yeah, that's, that's gotta be it. Yeah, I think that I think that they like connected early on, and um, and then that's how we became friends. But then you guys became friends with Fear Before, and then it all just kind of clicked. Where you were like, "Wait, you guys know Gatsby's? Wait, you guys know Fear Before?" And it was like this trifecta of just just community and camaraderie. I loved it. it that's like I, I mentioned this earlier, but that was like one of the the happiest like seasons of my life with like music and stuff was just like that that sense of all three bands egging each other on and wanting to put on the craziest live show and to like, you know, make the craziest songs. And it was so, there was so much enthusiasm from each band for the other bands. And that was like, that was the coolest thing. There wasn't like, it was like, if any of us succeeded, everyone was like stoked. Like when, when you guys got signed and when fear before got the deal with EVR and like, we were just like, fuck yes, that's our boys. (laughs) And, it, it was something that we, you know, we never, we never felt like we had, fr- you know, friends in other bands and stuff, but like it, we never had that tight knit of a group of, of like bands all at the same kind of level. Um, again, you know, in our career it was like, uh, it, we just kind of went out into the world and, you know, you guys ended up uh, breaking up and, you know, John started the Portugal thing. I know some of you guys came forward with that and, you know, fear before got really big in the hardcore scene and we're like, doing these massive like you know and it, our paths just kind of all went you know a little bit 
separate ways, but we, you know, whenever I'd hear like good news about you guys or good news for Fear Four, I'd always be stoked. And it was just, it was such a neat time. It really was, man. And it was like, yeah, we were all cheerleaders for each other. Like if there was five people at the show, automatically there was 15 more because of the two other bands. And, and it was always just That's a right. good time and like trying to survive together on the road. And uh, that was always the the craziest thing is is going through like these crazy, you know, trials and tribulations together. Uh, we rarely we were really lucky to where we were rarely alone uh, in those times where, you know, we were always we were on tour with you guys or us and fear before or bear versus shark. Like being able to totally. make friends quickly with a band, you know, you're touring with really made it so you weren't alone for one. And you had that that support system and it just added, you know, more to your crew as far as, you know, uh, who you had to lean on, you know, and uh, oh, for sure. it was it's such a weird thing, you know, to to be. I mean, what other situations do you meet someone technically at work and forge a relationship <laughs> like that that fast? You know, it rarely happens in any industry, I, I would say. It's just a weird thing. It's, it's a it's a, it's a really unique thing. Like I, I hear stand-up comics when that's the closest thing I've ever heard where, where people like to s describe a situation that reminds me of us and you guys and all, all the, and I'm glad you mentioned Bear with Shark. Cause that was another one that was like, we were super tight with at, at that time. And like, um, you know, it, it was such a unique thing where like you hear comics talk about bombing, you know, where they get on stage and they bomb and it's like the worst feeling in the world. But then there's, you know, some of the other comics that were with them that night bombed also. And then they go get beers afterwards and talk about how much they suck and then they get better. And it's like, it was, it was like that where like we would play shows, you know, sometimes you pull up to a show and there's five people and it was like, it was, oh man, like we're all, we're all chasing something. Like we're all trying to build something and we're all trying to create and, and sometimes to just have, you know, the, the wind knocked out of you and, you know, when you have like that sense of camaraderie and that, that kind of, you know, community and, and the, the support group. It's like, even if you would play a show like that, you'd, have, you'd just have fun with it and you, you play and, you know, all the bands would come down and watch the other band play. And then what you look forward to more than, you know, even more than the show sometimes was just hanging out afterwards. It was like, where are we going to crash for the night? And like, let's go party and have fun. And, and like, you know, just hopefully nobody gets arrested and, <laughs> and like that. That kind of stuff was like it really helped you going. You know, I, I remember I remember some of those tours where like you pull up to the gas station and nobody showed up to the last show, so you don't have any money to pay for the gas. So it's like the guys are taking turns putting the tank of gas on their credit card, <laughs> and, yes. and so so the only thing really keeping you going was that that love that you had with your you know your group of friends and like it was it was just a really remarkable special time. Like I I, I don't know I know I've been going on and on about it, but I. I always look back to that as like kind of the the benchmark for like man this is this is what community is about this is what art is about this is what you know I don't know it's and and then it it disappears you get older and it's like there's there's less of that like the game changes and it, it gets kind of more high stakes and it's like I, I like I, I just remember the click one day where I was like the band the bands were on tour with don't they don't come and watch us play every night, you know, and they, you know, a lot of them don't want to leave their green room or come hang out with the other band. And so, you know, it's like, it becomes a much more professional courtesy kind of relationship and less of a, you know, Hey, we're, we're eating shit together. Let's, let's, you know, team up on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And something as simple as like even parking is, is insane where, 
you know, there's like dedicated parking for the headliner and then they just don't give a shit where you are, you know, like, or, Hey, you're going to need to move <laughs> yeah. your, move your rig because so-and-so needs, you know, to park totally. his motorcycle or whatever, you know, like it just becomes a whole another ball game. And, and that's something that uh, we can delve into as well, because I mean, you guys have been on all sides of that and uh, you know, yeah. something that's really unique, uh, you know, maybe not unique, but in our group, you know, especially with Gatsby's, we're going from, uh, you know, super humble beginnings to, you know, a, a really a really good amount of success, I would say, you know, in in the commercial world as far as but you also living on both sides of that. And I know uh, the way you guys felt about, you know, record labels and the business and the machine and and all that stuff, which is something I didn't think about much until after talking to talking to you guys more and more about kind of what that whole thing's about, because I was always, you know, like John was a songwriter. Uh, you know, I was in the band doing my thing, but I also wasn't around a ton of the business side of it either. Like I kind of sure. stayed out of it. Like we would have band meetings and discuss things. And, you know, when we sat down with EVR and we said, speaking of EVR, Dan says, hi, by the way, Dan Sanshaw. Um, I love Dan Sanshaw. That's dude, another one. Yeah. I mean, him, him and minority, they're like on my, uh, the top of the pedestal for me, as far as music industry people, I, I they're just incredible. People. Dude, 100%. And, and I'll have to, if you haven't heard it, I'll have to send you the link to my episode with Dan. He did his first podcast with me and it was, it was a great episode. Um, I would love, I would love to hear that. But, like he has, he has the most like wonderful insight into music and just such a, such a pure, like, I don't want to say like, he's just a pure soul, but like he, he just has such a, a love of music. And, you know, it's like, he talks about records that he's done that like, that they lost their ass on. And he's like, he's like, oh, I don't care about that. He's like, we made a great record. It was, it's a great record. It's amazing. And I'm like, fuck yes. This is, <laughs> this is what I need. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And he's such a peaceful person, like just being, and we did it in his hotel room. So it's very like, very low key. And we're all, we're talking peacefully and we're just, whenever I get around Dan, I immediately have this sense of calm that comes over my body and we just yeah. will talk, you know, and, and just, it just comes out and it's, it's wonderful. And, uh, but anyways, he, yeah, I was, I was telling him, I was talking to you today and, and, uh, he's, he's super stoked, but, um, anyways, like EVR, EVR and fearless, we would sit down, you know, with both labels and of course, fearless threw a bunch more money at us. So being young and with our manager, like, yeah, we're, we're going to go with fearless. It was the yeah. not to say anything bad about Fearless because I really enjoyed being on Fearless, but the way it went with uh, the new album demos and things like that, there was not much support there. Dan has supported every single thing we have ever done. He's been at every show for the last yep. you know twenty years. He's supported everything we've ever done. I don't even know people's names at Fearless anymore. You know what I mean? Like we made the wrong decision yeah. for sure for our longevity. Um, but, uh, that's something we've known since it happened, but, um, you know, it's, it's something where I was, though I was in those meetings, but I was never really a big part of the decision-making. So it was interesting talking to you guys on your path, um, you know, and how you were feeling about the whole situation. Um, it's one of those things where I look to you guys as like a, uh, like an older brother almost where it was like kind of learning from as we go, but you guys seem to have a little more of a grasp on the business side than we did. And, uh, 
you know, above and beyond on the songwriting side as well. And that's something I really wanted to talk with you about too, because I had no idea till much later that you were the primary songwriter in Gatsby's and especially like lyrics, music, all that stuff. Uh, how much of a role you played in that because you kind of stay behind the scenes, you know, you're not uh, the front man, you know, but sure. also, I mean, it's, it's your stuff that's coming out. You're the driving force behind that. And that's the stuff that's super interesting to me. Um, and, you know, having such a special relationship with those records, I mean, that's, that's you like that. you you were creating that stuff. I mean, the band, you know, filled it out. But the the general idea and and focus from it was from you, and though that's another big reason I wanted to have you on the show and have wanted to have you on the show for a long time to talk about that because I think I talked about with Minardi and maybe with Dan too about those long talks you and I used to have you know on tour about yeah. like what's this song about what's this song about and we got really far I remember in and I don't remember all the details which I apologize for but like. We got into some deep chats about what, especially Ribbons and Sugar, what those songs were about. And I know there's a big, I don't even know if this is true, like the Animal Farm uh, uh, (laughs) thing. I don't know if that's like a, uh, if that's a rumor or what, as far as what was the album was based on. But I hear a lot more from you versus the Animal Farm side. Does that make sense? I. Yeah, I think I think it was a you know the we we liked the you know you know how album album titles and the concepts and kind of just the framing device you know it just it changes from record to record for different bands where sometimes it's just you know it's the name of the record came from some idea but it's not necessarily what the record's about or yeah. whatever and you know that I we, we, there was a lot of people that some you know I, the title of the record came from Animal Farm right yes so yes we were. T- I remember Kirk and I were talking about the the concept of of Animal Farm um, a lot while we were writing this record, and we 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 wanted to use like the pigs as kind of a you know imagery and stuff, but we wanted to tell you know because you know Kirk Kirk wrote um, what Manifesto of Changeable Wealth on that record, and I love that song, and um, you know he that was his first song with us, and then you know he he gradually started writing more songs over the years with us, and. You know, and then in in his own right, became, I mean, just made amazing leaps in songwriting with his KK stuff and oh, that was real yeah. stuff. I mean, he, he's so he's just he's a genius. Like the guy's so talented and stuff. But we would talk about that kind of stuff a lot. And and then you know, we we told very personal stories. Like a lot of a lot of that record is actually about our relationships with our parents. Um, you know, uh, and but you know, we always kind of kept in this, this concept, this like idea in mind, some of the principles in, in animal farm, um, in just, you know, not, I guess, I guess the consequences that come along with not living a life that is consistent with what you believe. And, um, that's where, that's what the name ribbons and sugar, you know, ribbons and sugar is from animal farm, you know, this horse Molly, she she agreed with the rebellion. She thought, yeah, this this whole thing is it, it, it checks out. It makes sense. We should be part of this rebellion. But I really like my ribbons and sugar from the farmer, so I'm just gonna you know go along with what what's what's happening. And um and that, that's the thing, you know, where you know we're we're not willing to to like sacrifice creature comforts and the luxuries that we have to kind of live in a way that we actually feel is upright you know it's like there's this cognitive dissonance where like you know 
you you know you know that the the cell phone that you're you're using that you paid a thousand bucks for was made by you know a kid in china for getting paid 90 cents an hour and there's you know mass suicides at those cell phone plants where people because it just sucks so much that they jump off the roof and um and but we we still have to use the phone right <laughs> and 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 then we you know we were talking about those kind of principles um and then how they play out in families um you know with just compulsion the substance abuse adultery like all these kind of things and um that you know we're especially kirk and i you know really shared a lot of that kind of background with our folks and um so so there is a lot of you know the animal farm ideas you know prevalent throughout the the record and we we had you know songs with with like pig pig words like snicker at the swine and uh-huh. there was you know we tried to we tried to incorporate a lot of those themes and ideas but it wasn't supposed to be some like radio head okay computer like this is a concept record where we are knitting this thing together like it's i feel like it's a it was a lot you know a broader scope than like to be like drilled down to just animal farm sorry for the rambling answer <laughs> no 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 that's 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 great and that's something where i didn't know because i I wanted I want to jump way back because you and you and Billy are very different. Like you guys, you guys are extremely different people. <laughs> After meeting Billy, yeah. I don't think I met Billy until I was not touring with you guys anymore. It was I think he was doing merch for you on some of the tours that came through after that. Um, yeah, I yeah. think. And that's the first time meeting Billy. And I love Billy. You guys are very different people. But you come pretty much. Sure. From, I mean, you come from the same spot, uh, but both turn out very differently. Um, and. I want to jump back. If you don't mind talking about it, I would like to kind of start, you know, from the beginning and kind of go through your, your childhood and, and kind of what led up to, you know, a lot of these songs. And then, but also, I mean, your general tra- uh, trajectory in life, um, whether to go beyond or, you know, take things from or leave things behind. Um, I don't know how uh, into that you were into talking about that stuff, but um, it kind of shapes the, the, that I mean, a lot of that record and a lot of the 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 words and uh, just overall feelings from that time. I mean, it, would you mind doing that? Uh, yeah. I mean, to some extent, like I don't, I'm not gonna like cry on on a podcast. No, 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 <laughs> no, no tears. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I can, you know, I'm I'm down to you know explore some some ideas and stuff, and okay. uh, yeah, for sure. I, definitely not my my like uh you know biggest comfort zone but that kind of makes her interesting conversation so let's let's go <laughs> okay well tell me tell me where were you born up in in seattle area no um i was i was born out in uh rhode island and uh oh, wow i did not know that yeah but we were only out there briefly you know i was born uh christmas eve 1979 and then uh my brother was born um in august of 1981 um so i was like one and a half and you know that that winter we we left because my uh my mother and father just had a terrible relationship you know there was a lot of abuse substance abuse it's all kinds of crazy stuff and uh we just kind of fled and uh we zoomed across the the country and landed in washington um and that's where me and billy grew up Okay, and so you, you, Billy, and your mom fled from your your father in Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah, we went out to um, went out to Whidbey Island in Washington, this little town called Oak Harbor, because that's where my uh, grandma was living, and we um, 
yeah, we just kind of grew up out there with, you know, no father figure. And it was super rural. I mean, I know, I imagine you guys can relate with Alaska and stuff, but like, you know, we didn't, there's, there wasn't even like fast food. Like the, when, when 7-Eleven came to town, we were like, holy shit, 7-Eleven. <laughs> and eventually we got a McDonald's and it was like, whoa. So, so yeah, we, we grew up like pretty wild in this, like on this island in the Puget Sound. And, you know, it was, a, it was really something. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I remember that in Alaska doing where there was an, there was a McDonald's in Juneau and not in Petersburg, uh, which is an island I grew up on. And my dad sometimes from from business trips would land in Juneau as a stopover, run into McDonald's on the layover, <laughs> grab 30 cheeseburgers, throw them in a bag, bring them like the 10 minute flight from Juneau to Petersburg, and then just dump them on the table and call the neighbor kids to come over and have this feast of McDonald's. And they were cold and stuck together and awful because they'd been sitting in a bag on an airplane. But man, it was the best thing ever. And then, yeah, That's eventually amazing. moving up. Oh my God. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. But, uh, so, so you came out to Whidbey Island because grandma's there. You have a place to stay to get kind of set roots down and try to try to make things work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so we were, we were just, uh, in this small town and grew up and, you know, single mom, um, she remarried when I want to say I was in like, fourth grade um and was married to a uh it was, it was a navy base so she, and she was a bartender on the navy base and so she met a pilot and they ended up getting married he was our stepdad from yeah like fourth grade to freshman year of high school and um you know it, it gave it, it gave a little bit more stability than what we had had but again you know it was they, they there was we just had a just a bad a bad cloud over us or something. They, you know, they, they would fight all the time. A lot of substance abuse, a lot of, you know, just, it was not a, it was not a fun place to grow up. Um, and, uh, they, uh, there was just, there was a lot of adultery and just, just bad stuff going on. And they split up when, uh, I guess freshman year. And that was, um, you know, I guess we're getting kind of personal here, but that was when, uh, my, you know, my mom, uh, had her, her first suicide attempt that I was aware of, uh, and, um, you know, after they split up and it was just, you know, that pretty much rocked our world where, you know, I guess nothing was really the same after that. So is this, and I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry about that, Bobby. And I, I mean, these, no. I, I take this very seriously when we talk about these things, because I mean, the fact that you share them with me means a lot to me, you know, to, to, and it's not this, this show is not like a headline grabber or like a, a soundbite grabber. You know what I mean? Like we talk about a lot of serious yeah. stuff on this show just because it's real life, you know? Um, yeah. And I appreciate that. And, and I've, 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 uh, yeah, I, I really do. And I mean, was, so you say substance abuse and, and adultery and stuff, was that on both sides or is this on the, on stepdad and dad's side? Um, or was it like a mutual thing? Like they just did not work like they're both working against each other or was it one-sided um so yeah there was there's you know there's a lot of alcohol abuse on every side and you know uh -huh. uh, and uh, you know I, knew, I know there was there was drug use and stuff too like my my, my mom, there was always like people smoking weed in our house and like just like doing all kinds of crazy stuff and um you know i mean it was it was just a I don't know. 
prevented both like my my father, my mother, my stepfather, like all of them for you know most of my adult life. And and you get older, and you just kind of realize that like, gosh, they just did not they did not know how to function. Like they just didn't didn't know how to cope with the real world, and were just like you know just trying to figure it out. Like it's it's just it's funny. You know, I just turned forty uh, uh, six months ago, and. Um, I, I remember when my parents were 40 and how I thought, you know, you know, gosh, that, like they're, they're so old, they're so old and they're so grown up and all, all this stuff. And then you get there, you're like, oh, okay. They didn't, they were, they didn't know any more than I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like being a grown up is just a hard thing. And you, you know, you carry forward a lot of the, the hurt from your childhood. Like it's still not easy for me to talk about this stuff and, you know, to, like I, I was, I was so angry at my mom for such a long time because of how things were growing up. I kind of held her responsible for a lot of it. And I, I, I regret that immensely, but you know, it, it wasn't until, you know, she passed away about 10 years ago where, you, you know, I, it really occurred to me that, well, her, her father committed suicide, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and she, and she carried that hurt forward, you know, just like I carried the hurt from her forward. And, you know, you just, you find different ways to cope with it. You know, it's, it's like, it's not like everybody reaches this Zen moment where they like figure it out and they're like, Oh, I've made peace with this. And now I can go live a healthy life. It's like, some people just don't find that. And, um, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for rambling about it, but yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of substance abuse and, you know, for whatever reason, uh, it, it just wasn't something that my, it's something my mom, you know, always struggled with. So, yeah, it, man, I am sorry, sorry to hear all that. You know, like I, suicide's such a crazy thing, you know. And my my wife's uh, father committed suicide as well back when on I'm one of the first tours. Uh, An Amy Ghost did before Fear Before meeting Fear Before. This was like in a van uh, playing like every little city down Oregon because we were booking like we had no idea what we were doing. Literally like four days in. Uh, got the call that, that that had happened and and uh at the time she was she was this was years and this was i mean her and i didn't get together till way later um but she was dating nick the drummer for anatomy at the time like that we okay. we were all like a group of friends in portland that kind of uh yeah it was one of those kind of things so like she was with nick at the time so nick like actually drove like hitched a ride back to portland to be with her and uh Man, it's something. I mean, you, I can't even fathom it. Like, it's something that's so. Uh, I mean, it just scars you forever, you know. And it's in yeah. the what ifs, and is it my fault? Could I have helped change it? You know, like there's so much. Like, yeah, it, and it's crazy to think about. But and so her her dad had committed suicide. Um, so the husband of of your grandma you were living with when you came out to to Washington, correct? No, so she, he he had committed suicide when my mom was just a little. Girl. Okay. Um, so it was it was a you know much much you know younger. And it was a weird thing that we never really talked about much growing up and stuff. And you know they never really had like pictures of him up or anything like that. And you know you it, it was just always a weird thing if you ever did see a picture of it or asked or whatever that they just kind of like brush you off and then close the the, the picture book up. You know it, it was like a it was just a weird, a weird thing. He was never someone that we ever met because it was, you know, when my mom was just a child, but, um, you know, I, I know that was something that she, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, a weird thing that impacted her. So, you know, tremendously. And then 
you know, with her, you know, she had repeated suicide attempts throughout her life. And it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a crazy thing. Cause you think like, it's almost like it, you know, I love, I love horror movies. I love like ghost stories and stuff like that. And people being haunted and like all this stuff. And it's, I think the reason I'm drawn to those kind of stories and like Stephen King is like my favorite. And but like the reason I'm drawn to a lot of that is just because so much of it works as such an effective allegory for those kind of ghosts that we carry forward, you know, and she, I feel like she was haunted by it for her whole life, you know, and never, you know, never really escaped it. And, um, I don't know. So it was a, it was a crazy thing, but, but back to, back to ribbons and sugar, <laughs> um, you know, like we, we, we tackle some of those, some of those themes, you know, like just about, I, I guess like, you know, being, being so angry, at your, you know, like I was so angry with my mother and, um, you know, cause I just, I couldn't, I couldn't empathize with, with her. I couldn't, you know, reach an understanding that, oh, she's been through some shit too. And she's just trying to do the best she can. And she's, she's fucked up, you know? And like, like, you know, I, I was just more angry. We're like, why would you do this to a kid? Why would you put us through this? You know, all this stuff. And then, you know, the the irony of it is when you're her age later on and you're like, oh, shit, I feel fucked up, too. And I know exactly what she was going through. And, boy, that must have been tough. And she must have felt really fucking alone, you know. And, yeah. But but we we explore, you know, we explore a lot of those kind of, or not a lot, but on, on a couple tracks on the Ribbons and Sugar, just exactly that, you know, the, the, the relationship there and. And just, you know, what a, what a fucking, you know, feedback loop it is to, <laughs> to be mad and angry at your, your, your parent that is hurting, you know, and then later on to be the person that's hurting and be like, oh, wow. So if I had, if I had a kid right now that was my age, he would go like, God, dad, why are you such an asshole? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's so, some of those things like are like exactly like when you, when that, that line of, uh, when you chase the ghost of things that could have been like a father who was never there at all, that, uh, that, uh, you know, we're like, this is exactly what we're talking about. Like you're talking about like ghosts and, and the ghosts we carry with us, you know, like, uh, that lot. But the, the one thing that really sets your songwriting apart, aside from the lack of courses, which I love, uh, <laughs> because it's like with no effects, same thing, like no courses, like it's, or very rarely, but, yeah. The way you take – this is what was so fucking weird for me with Gatsby's is as I'm learning you guys is I am I have – and that's back when we had Discman's. So, like, I would put Ribbons and Sugar in my Discman and put it in my headphones, and I would sit there and I'd listen to that record over and over again because it's not very long. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms – they are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online, and splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits, and all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. 
And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. PeerPleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month, it gets you the ad free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the Passcast. The Passcast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. 
So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. And it's just like one big, long kind of song. Like it's like one piece of music, pretty much. It seems like it just flows yeah. like a record should. But with the lack of choruses, it feels like like the decline from no effects or like, you know, one yeah. big piece of one big composition. But hearing those words before I knew the stories behind it still impacted me because they're like pretty blunt, like out there words like like this is exactly about this but there's still enough uh there's still enough mystique behind them to you can you can put them in a lot of different contexts but the way when when that line comes in like everything drops out when you chase the ghost and ryan ryan's singing that i believe in that part um and the harmony comes in and there's this beautiful crescendo but the words are so brutal. It's such a mind fuck because it you're feeling it in your heart, but then you're also like loving it because it's that big, like resolution of melody there. Like it's this big, like swell part. And I'm, I'm kind of rambling on this too, but it's this big, beautiful piece with the words that are like basically saying something that, that, uh, you know, sums up a childhood that was not, great like it was not uh uh you know and that's what hurt so much in my heart was because then after getting to know you guys and then asking you i think that's why someone eventually told me like oh yeah bobby wrote all those i was like what and then i'm I'm hearing these (laughs) words and i think i like sat you down one night in newport beach was like dude tell me about apparition right like or tell me about we're not orphans you know because it's like i immediately like felt that pain in my heart, but at the same time felt guilty because I'm singing along, like loving it's this big, beautiful piece, you know? And, you know, apparitions, another one where is that what the, the bloody handprints on the wall is about? Is that suicide attempt? Yeah, I was, you know, I was trying to kind of marry some imagery of, you know, I, I was thinking of a, a haunted house and, you know, just that, that kind of stuff. And, and um but then also marrying that with you know just my unreconciled understanding of my mom's suicide attempts mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. i so that's yeah that that is what those that imagery was about i mean for sure cuz i mean you talk about ghosts out in the hall you know uh just ignore them all like and, and i'm not reading these like these are coming from my head but um <laughs> so i might get some wrong but they're they're one i mean they no, stick no. with me at any time i could just recite them you know um did you and Billy share a room wow. at this time? Like, or do you guys have your own rooms? Like, is it something where I'm just picturing two little boys, you know, all this shit going on in the house and trying to find solace somewhere, maybe with each other, maybe together in one space where you guys, you know, that's what I picture in my head, uh, trying to get through yeah. these yeah. fights and get through these, uh, awful times that kids should not have to see. Yeah. I mean, that was, I, I feel like the only reason either of us are still alive is because we had each other through it. You know, like we, we were so close as children and we're still so close today. I mean, we, we talk on the phone most days still, and you know, we're just always, I, I don't know, like I'm his biggest supporter. He's my biggest supporter. And you know, it, it's, it is, you know, what it's like is like when soldiers survive a war and you know, they, they share that post-traumatic stress and, it's like nobody on outside 
will ever understand, you know? And so it's something where we kind of have our own language and our own understanding. And, you know, we know, we know how each other have been hurt and, you know, it's, it's just something that goes beyond trust and beyond anything, you know, where you, you, sh- you kind of share a, a wound together and, um, yeah, I said I wasn't going to cry, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, yeah, like we were, we were just super tight growing up and, you know, it was like when, as soon as Gatsby's had any amount of success, you know, my first mission was to get him on the road with us and, you know, just have him be part of it and be part of building, building whatever it was going to be. So he, you know, he was as big a part of the band as anyone in the band was. Yeah. And, and, you know, I remember playing the Ribbons and Sugar record release party um, in Seattle at Studio 7 with uh, Fear Before. And um, the, uh, I think Fear Before was there. I know I was wearing a Fear Before the March Flame t-shirt. So (laughs) I can't, don't quote me on that they played. I think that they did. I think it might have, like, coincided with a tour. But anyways, Billy, uh, Billy was like he wasn't like a very experienced concert goer and he like stage dived off of the balcony above the crowd like feet first and it was so funny <laughs> <laughs> he, like, he like landed on top of this crowd it was just the best it was like and we were playing these Ribbons and Sugar songs that were so special to me and to Billy and uh, it was it was a pretty magical night <laughs> God, that's hilarious I, man <laughs> It, well, you guys, you guys are trauma survivors. Like you, I mean, that's a, and yeah. together, you know, and having, having each other, that's just a, a gift, you know, like, uh, and that's why I oh, say yeah. like you guys turned out so differently going through, you know, the same thing. I mean, so close in age and, and, uh, you know, did you, do you remember when you, did you start to, um, did you start to like, when you started, you said you had a lot of anger with your mom, but did you start to vocalize that? Like, did you ever, like as a teenager, I used to, t- you know, go off on my mom all the time because I was mad or, or, you know, and not for anywhere near the same kind of thing that you went through. But, but uh, by a teenager, I had no problem like standing up and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Or uh, I think this, what you're doing is wrong. You know, like, did you ever hit a point where you started speaking up and, and letting that anger come out directly at her? I, you know, I was more, I was more of a repressed person. I guess I just kind okay. of am in general. Uh, my brother is a live wire. That guy's the craziest, wildest guy you'll ever meet in your life. Uh-huh. He's just the life of the party, and that's not me. And, uh, you know, I'm just not – I don't know. Like, I, But, yeah, so I was, I was always a lot more repressed about that kind of stuff and internalized it and, um, you know, just – I guess just kind of froze her out, just kind of pulled away, really. Like, we were – I remember being so close with her when I was a kid um and because i was oblivious i did i didn't i wasn't aware of how messed up everything was and then you start getting older and it just kind of clicks where you're like this is not you know this this isn't something a kid should have to experience or see or live through and it's like you know and for a while i I kind of you know i got self-righteous indignant and was like how dare you do this to a poor kid you know and yeah rightfully so but you know again back to like i i wasn't I didn't have compassion for her, you know, it's like, I didn't, I didn't realize, you know, that she, she was hurting and she was just trying to figure out this fucked up thing that life is. And I was just angry at her, you know, and, and, and just indignant about it. And so I just, I just kind of withdrew, you know, I moved out when I was like 16, gotten, got an apartment with some friends in town and just never really looked back. Like I, as soon as I was, you know, I moved out when I was 16, I was 
got out of high school, moved away, went to Seattle, started a band, just disappeared and never came back. And we, we really never, we never talked much. We never really spoke more than a few sentences to each other uh, after that. In, in t- until she passed? Yeah. Oh my God. Um, yeah. It's, it's something, you know, I, I really, I really regret. I mean, you know, I don't even think this is a podcast episode to be honest, <laughs> but it, it's fun. I mean, it's fun. It's like, uh, it's, I guess it's kind of cathartic and therapeutic to talk about and stuff, but yeah, I, I got, you know, I just kind of pulled back and went away. Like I didn't, I didn't think that there was any opportunity to, talk to her and kind of work through my feelings with her. Cause I just didn't think she was receptive to hearing it. And yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to really be around her and, and be kind of harboring all of this, you know, kind of hurt and anger and resentment and stuff. And like, you know, the back to the ribbons and sugar songs, like those songs were, you know, it was kind of therapy for a lot of us writing stuff about, you know, that and, and like where we were, we're writing about, um, you know, I guess just working our way through these feelings that we didn't know how to navigate yet. You know, like I, I didn't, I remember, you know, yeah, right. That, that's on apparition and stuff. And like, it's, it, to me, like I, I look back on that record and that, that song means a lot to me and I don't, I don't really take a lot of my songwriting seriously and stuff, but like that song in particular was really special because it was like, it was me, um, you know, being like as, as much as I, I, I hold all this anger and like, frustration you know with her and stuff like you can't go wrong if you bring love to her you yeah. know and mm-hmm. so that was that was my, that was my north star it was me you know declaring here's my compass that's the north star that's what i need to aim for and you know i never but i never really got there and and that's you know it, it was like like i i did work through that and figure that out that like you know i you you can't talk someone out of being an addict you can't you can't talk someone out of you know their pain and, and talk them out of what they do to cope with that pain. It's, it's something they, they just have to kind of find on their themselves. And like, I, you know, the, the few times that we did get into it where I was like, you've got to stop doing this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you've got kids, you know, like I'm, I'm a kid, like I'm 16 years old. Like this isn't, this isn't fair. Like, why do I even have to be talking to you about this? And, you know, she, she in hindsight now that i'm a grown-up and stuff it's like it's not like she had much of a choice (laughs) you know it's not like you you want to it's so easy to kind of cast blame and point a finger and and be like you know how you know how dare you put your children in this environment in this situation and and but then you know it's it's not like she had a choice it's not like she was like man i'm gonna fuck those boys up real good (laughs) like she never intended that and you know, I, I know that in my heart, like I, I had forgiven her, but I, I just didn't know how to verbalize it. And I, I guess I was kind of always thinking that there a time would come around where I was, I don't know, mature enough or wise enough or had the, the words to, to be able to just, you know, speak to her and say, Hey, I get it. You know, like I, I get it and it's okay. And I love you, you know, and, and I never said it, you know, and, and it's like, I got the call that, that she passed away. It was like, you know, four in the morning I was on the East coast and, um, uh, it, it just, you know, that was the biggest life changing event, you know, for me, the biggest thing that ever happened to me in my life where it, it completely gutted me, changed me as a human being. You know, I, you, you, you just never, you never wish so bad. Like I, you know, you think about having you had a time machine and like you go back in time and do all this 
stuff. And it's like, I don't want to go back, you know, 50 years. I don't want to go back. I just, I just want, wanted to go back 24 hours and just be able to, to like talk to her and just, you know, tell her it's okay. It's okay. You know, like, like I love you and it's okay. And I get it, you know, and, and give her, get that, you know, chance to do it. And it's like, that's, that completely changed my worldview and it changed the way that I live. And I mean, I, I went from being a very, you know, I guess my way or the highway sometimes kind of person, very, you know, forceful with my, my ideas and my arguments and just different things like that to be in like a, a person who's like, you know, I'm going to, the first thing I'm going to do is check that at the door and, you know, try to be compassionate to the person and try to figure out, you know, where they're coming from because I've been, wrong as wrong as wrong can be in the most important thing in your whole life and um you know so i'm just going to go into stuff under the you know assumption i guess that hey maybe maybe i'm the person who's in the wrong here let's let's see you know what's what's going on let's let's figure this out let's let's reach out to the person with love and with compassion and you know so it's i feel like i'm it's the whole situation made me like a, a much better person and gave me you know so much perspective and you know allows me to treat people so much better than i did and to just be kinder to to other human beings and to 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 feel things for other human beings and like you know so i'm I'm thankful for all of it and stuff and i i hope that you know i don't i don't know what happens when people die and but i you know i hope that there's some peace there for her and that you know somehow that she knows that that I know that she did her best and that she loved us and that, you know, that's, that's what matters, you know? And yeah, I'm sorry for ranting. No, you're not (laughs) at all. And this is something that this is, I mean, this is really special to me. I, 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 I I like talking about these things because they're real and, and they affect a lot of people, right? Like it's not, not, I mean, most, a lot of situations are unique, but there's always things that tie things together. And, and one thing from what you're telling me is, that's really kind of beautiful is the fact that in her passing, she may have given you the most uh, important change in your life. Like all that parenting that was missed in her passing was given to you in like one little box of here it is. You figured it out. You know what I mean? Like it's this beautiful, this beautiful gift that was given in death what she couldn't give you when she was here and maybe what she yeah. kept you from while she was here. And that, that final, uh, that final, you know, uh, that final act like right there is just worth, worth so much more than anything, you know, like it, it, trying yeah. to trying to, and, and the fact being, you know, pushing your uh, agenda and opinions and, and, and things you wanted, you weren't, probably weren't heard a lot when you were younger and, and had to fight for what you got. And, and, and the fact that a child has to then become mature enough at such a young age to recognize the, the one thing I talk about on the show a lot with people is uh, children don't know what normal is. They learn what normal is, right? Like to them. And then they get older and realize what the fuck was that? You know? Uh, And that's something that a child that has to mature enough to then question their own spot in life and their own spot with their parents is so crazy to me that it can even happen, you know, like that, it, that you know, but you see in different parts of the world where children are on their own at 10 or 12 years old, you know, and they're, but that's their culture, right? Like that's their, 
that's sure. they're supposed to do that. You are here. You are not supposed to do that. So for the one thing, I mean, and I just lost my dad in September. I, I, and like, I know that, that feeling that, that ripping your, your body apart feeling, right? Uh, like I, I know it so much, but at the same time, uh, you know, that's the only way I can, can kind of empathize with your situation is I know the feeling, but I don't, I didn't have the same experience as you did, of course. And I don't try to, but there's just such a beautiful thought that she gave you everything by, by passing on, right? Like it's so, and I mean, real quick to jump back to when you, when you moved out, when you were 16, Billy would be what? 14. Yep. Was he still there? Or did yeah, he go with he you? He was still with her. Okay. No, he was. He was still with her. We, did, you know, we. It's funny. It's funny because, and I, I wanted to say that I, I'm really sorry to hear about your father passing, man. That sucks. Well, I appreciate that, man. I, I yeah, I, and same with your mom. Like I've, ugh. it's something I can't even explain in words. <laughs> it, it it is. It's just. It's such a weird thing. It, it's something. And I, not to. I don't even want to get into like COVID stuff and everything, but it's like when you see like the numbers of people dying, like, you know, a hundred thousand people in America. And it's like, I just think about one person that died that just completely, you know, rocked my world and stuff. And this just happened to like a hundred thousand people. And I, it, it really, my heart just goes out to all these people. I, I just, I just think about the, you know, one human being, what a difference it made in my life. And I, you know, to, those kind of numbers is just like staggering to me where I'm just like <laughs> the amount of loss and suffering happening right now. It's like, we just shrug about it and make memes on Twitter and stuff, but there's people losing their family and it's like, it's really sad. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, but you know, my, my brother had a much different relationship with my, my mom and I, I can't really speak to, to their relationship. I've talked to himself sometime, but, uh, but they, you know, they, they stayed much closer and he, he was, he just had a much different, you know, relationship towards her and, you know, always stayed very close with her. I went very, very far away, as far away as I could get, and he stayed as close as he could. You know, he okay. he always when we we'd come home from tour, and he'd go home to her. You know, and he was always okay. very close to her, and he, he he didn't harbor the same kind of resentment towards her that I did. I guess um, I got you. And good on him. Good on him. You know, it's like I think that's the big. You know, that's another thing is also when you lose your loved one is just the. You know, it's it's. I, you know, the, one of the most powerful, you know, emotions to me is like grief. But like, like I think that the the most powerful thing that just came rushing over me was shame. You know, shame that I I wasn't able to, you know, step up and just talk to her and just be big enough and like, you know, just just shame that I wasn't, you know, equipped to cope with it while she was still there. And like, um, you know, I that's the thing is like where Billy, he always loved her through it. And, you know, just, it, it, there was no, his love was unconditional for her, you know? And so uh, that was, that was just something where, you know, I really respected the way that he treated my mom. Like, it's not like he wasn't aware that she was crazy. Like he knew, um, but he, he just was able to love her through it. And it's like, my brother's just an amazing human being. So. <laughs> yeah, he is. And that's what I was, was wondering is, if he was, if, if he felt the same way you did and when you had left, if he had felt uh, abandoned or, or if that had strained your guys' relationship together, but that makes sense. If he was, if he was gravitating more towards your mom, that he was fine, um, that you were off, you know, doing your thing and, and, uh, 
I mean, that's that's great that that wasn't an issue, you know, like uh, that he that he had that. But um, man, what I mean, just the uh, just the I mean, a crazy I I I I sigh because just so much uh, so much I feel I feel so much for you through this. And, and at the same time, like what you turned it into is something so amazing you know, and, and the other thing to, with, to tie this together with ribbons and sugar, especially the, the lyrics written, you know, from a child's point of view, a lot of time, uh, sung by Nick, who has a very young voice, like a very, yeah. uh, like prepubescent voice and a baby face, like it, it put a whole nother thing to it. And I don't know how intentional that was. But it made it that much more uh, effective by by delivering it that I, way, right? Like, it, do you, I don't know if you guys thought about that, but that's something from no, the beginning. I totally, I totally agree. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing, you know. You you hear this guy with this the, this like boyish you know voice, and it's like when he sings uh got that line the it's not the same because I. I, I because I was just a kid, Dad. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's just like, it's the craziest thing because he sounds, you know, it's like, it's almost like, you know, my my childhood voice kind of like, like, like what the fuck, dude? I was just a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, it, it, it really was, like, he, his delivery was, was impeccable. I mean, it was, it was incredible. It, he really channeled it. So. It hits so hard, <laughs> you know? Like, it's, it's just, it, it's like going back and, and like watching like a what was that Christmas movie where they go back and see what would have happened, you know, like uh, yeah. and you see him. It, that's what it reminds me of. Like it's it's like theatrical almost. Like it's just it works so well. And and uh, you know the the little breaks in his voice and and he sings kind of through the nose and it makes it that like uh, yeah, just really adolescent sounding, which is it it's it's a cool thing, you know, and it, it really made the band unique. But just hitting, I mean, that stuff hit me so hard, Bobby. Like I, just hearing those those songs before knowing the story, a nut like hit me enough. But then now when I li- like listen to that record, I listened to it with my kids today in the car. I took them down to the the train museum and and uh, they like to watch the trains go by, and I put that song on and I've been listening to it with them in the car more and more. Um, but it just kind of like watching them like start to jam out to it. But they they have no idea what's going on with the words, but. Um, it's just something that's going to touch people forever, you know, and, and that's something where I also want to get into because shifting away from, you know, the, the childhood stuff and, and I mean, what a beautiful, a beautiful, and like the way she changed you, you know, at the end is, is, is just wonderful, you know, and, and you'll carry that forever. But the other side of things there was with, with like land of lost monsters, it seems like there was a lot more, uh, directed at like business, like big business, uh, turning music into an industry. You like kind of fighting the system, uh, seemed to, to come out a lot more and like, like the line, where's the fucking chorus? Like, you (laughs) know, like a, a label is interested in like critics love the band because there's no choruses, uh, you know, labels are interested because people are interested, but then they can't figure it out and want you to put more choruses in like not to 
harp on the chorus <laughs> thing, but they don't, it's like, they don't trust you to like, okay, you're a great band. We want to sign you, but we don't trust you to deliver what you're good at. Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> is that kind of where things started to go? Cause it seems like ribbons and sugar really had that like cathartic, uh, personal feel to it. And then going forward, it became the, the themes seemed to change a bit. Um, more towards like that, that immediately that. Yeah. I mean, I will, I will say it's, it's like a hundred times more, you know, I guess enjoyable for me to write songs that are like a little bit more cerebral and trying to, you know, make a persuasive case for an idea that I'm trying to convey Mm -hmm. versus, versus the bearing your soul and like talking about your, your parents and that kind of stuff. Like that, that stuff is like is really painful and it's it's not fun. It's like a a World War Two movie or something, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like and and like I you know the, yeah, well, P- Platoon is a great movie. You know, Vampire Ryan is a great movie, but I'd much rather go see Inception. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like I I because it's just it's like that's not fun. If I'm like gonna go do something with my friends and have beers and like do something that's like you know really a fun craft and something I really enjoy is like it's I, I would not make exploring those kind of ideas a hobby because it's like <laughs> it's it's pretty grim and it's it's painful and uh, I I guess. I guess, you know, we really did turn a corner with Inland Lost Monsters where it was like, well, I want to, I want to convey different ideas and different things I'm thinking about, you know, and it, it became a much more cerebral enterprise and less of an emotional one, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When did Nick, when did Nick start writing lyrics for the band? Did he start like later, like fearless, fearless days or was this, did he always write some? So, yeah, it, you know, it was the, the first, the first couple of records, I w- yeah, I mean, you know, the with why we fight, ribbons and sugar, lost monsters, you know, it, like uh, I, I would do the, the bulk of the writing, okay. and then Ryan and and then Ryan and Nick would kind of you know contribute like a couple songs, um, and Kirk, and then Kirk, you know, started on ribbons and sugar, and you know he mm-hmm. he, he did the manifesto of changeable wealth track, and then um, with. Uh, and then you lost monster still that. And then volcano had like a lot more, uh, I guess collaboration where, you know, I think, I think Nick had like three songs or, and Kirk had two songs and Ryan had departed at that time. Yes. Um, yes. Went back and, to school. And so, but that, that ended up kind of being the, the flavor where like I'd, I'd write the, you kind of the bulk of the records and, 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 you know, but Kirk and Nick would also, you know, we, we all, we, we all kind of like would agree on a, on a theme and then do variations on a theme where, you know, we want to write our own stuff, but we want to be kind of consistent with what the overarching idea was of the, for the record. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell me about with Land of Lost Monsters, you and you, you and Minardi had been like what emailing back and forth or, or something like texting back and forth about uh, like he had Little League records. And then, yep. so, and I think he said something like he made a joke, like, well, why don't I just put it out? Or something like that, and then you guys were into it, and then he's like, "Oh shit, now I gotta put this thing out and, and uh, go further into debt uh, to, to you know to put out something he believed in." Uh, is that kind of how it went down? Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. Like, awesome. we uh, so we were always trying to do stuff with other local bands in our scene, and um, I, you know, Kyle from Kyle Quinn, oh, yeah. in Portugal, he was in yes, Gatsby, so I know him well. He, he, Oh, and you know Andy Lum, right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Kyle and Andy 
and some other uh, guys, Cameron Parkins, you know him, James Hill, just a bunch of people. Um, they, they had this band surrounded by lions. It was a local band um, in Seattle, and uh, like we were, we were always putting them on our shows. Uh, you know, having them open for us locally, and, and um, just trying to do whatever we could to help support them. And they were, they were all younger. Like they were in high school while we were out touring, and. Um, uh, so there was, it was kind of a fun opportunity to mentor some young kids and help them avoid some of the pitfalls that we hit. And, um, you know, they were, they were trying to find a, just a smaller indie to put out an EP for them. And they had been talking to LLR, uh, Little League Records, Johnny's label about doing a split or doing an EP, but they, he wasn't really sure about pulling the trigger. And so then I was like, well, what if we just do a split with them? You know, would that entice you to kind of put out put out something with them and he's like well i could just put out an ep for you guys and we were just like okay because <laughs> 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 we you know we were between record deals and you know we were we were we were getting on like legitimate tours like at that point we yeah we toured with like uh name taken and bear versus shark and fear before and i think maybe like spittlefield and uh some other victory bands i'm trying to recall oh but I think we've done a tour like Down to Earth Approach and um, what was that band? Uh, oh, a- Action Action, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's more though. Um, I can't remember all of them. Um, but we, so we've been actually getting on tours without even having a record label, uh, like a, without being signed anywhere. And we, um, you know, we, we were talking to labels and stuff, but yeah, it was a lot of them just didn't really, weren't really into like what we were doing, like they, they liked the amount of buzz that we had. They liked the tours we were getting, but like, yeah, like, you know, drive through, we, we went and actually showcased for them, which is just so silly that we ever even did that. But we were on tour and we went and played in a, in a little studio and, um, you know, they were, they were just like, yeah, you guys are, you guys are, they're great, great live band. Yeah, you know, all the pieces are here, but these, these songs just, not here like where's the choruses there's no choruses and i was like i was like i was just like super irritated about it like it's funny because i i look back and i kind of think of follies of youth where like i not that I, i'm glad we didn't sign with drive through like fuck that label but but I, you know i was um i guess it was like it was just a weird thing where like I thought I knew better. Like, I'm like, what is, what does Bob Dylan know about songwriting? You know, (laughs) because I I was like, like, why do parts, why does it have to be the choruses? Why does it have to be this? Like if, you know, if, you know, 1500 people will come see us in Seattle, why wouldn't 1500 people come see us in every city if we were marketed right? You know, like this, this, this as is could be a thing. And, you know, like I, 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 you know, I was like, what if, what if the hook, what if the, you know, the, the, hot you know thing about it is that nothing repeats and that's the that's the thing that draws people in where they're like oh wow that's cool um and you know which it now just kind of i feel like i was being super pretentious <laughs> but, but but at the time i thought i knew everything so i was just like super irritated you know because i was like I, and I, I i still do hold true to this you know saw is that like if you if you if you sign a band and they're, they're doing something and the understanding is that this is what we want to do and everyone's on the same page, you should, you should stick with that. You know, it's like handshake deals should work. Like these, these things like, you know, why sign a band if you want them to be something that they're not, you know, it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to me. And, you know, that was, that ended up being, you know, 
kind of the downfall of our relationship with Fearless. You know, like I, hey, good on them for the the, the records that they put out and the, the cool things that they've done and stuff. But it was it was not the right fit because they they wanted us to be a different band. You know, they we we thought that there was commercial opportunity in in just what we were doing that we that we didn't need to cater our approach to music in order to sell more records. We thought that that well, fuck if if you know crazy you know thrashy bands like the blood brothers or like heavy bands like uh you know under oath like can can like sell all these records then why couldn't like a slightly spazier you know pop punk band kind of why you know why wouldn't we be able to sell those records without choruses um if you know and to some extent when you look at a band like circus survives that like they were doing some weird shit and like that band blew the fuck up and it's like there's I don't think that necessarily there's like one, you know, roadmap to success in the scene. Like would, would Gatsby's have ever worked at radio or anything like that? Like, no, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> um, but I think that we could have, you know, I mean, Cody and Cambria, like there's, there's, there's any number of like bands that were doing weird stuff that like they found their niche and it, it, and it just worked. And, you know, and some of them end up having, you know, breaking through to the mainstream a little bit. Like you, you think of a band like Death Cab for Cutie, like that's like a, it's an odd band. It's quirky. It's it's strange. Like their big single, uh, the what is it? Uh, we're we're oh, what is it? Oh, we're we're soulmate, we're soulmate's body. body. Yeah, like that dude. That song has the oddest structure. You know, I, I know that they were were being quirky and weird and everything like that. But you heard that song everywhere. But there's not really a proper chorus on it. You know, and it's like I, I don't know. So I, I know I'm rambling again, but but like it it was a it was just a, a a weird thing where we we kind of explored that with the the lost monsters theme and just like really wanted to like hammer into it and then some label hears that and decides to sign us and go like hey so we're gonna have courses on the next one right <laughs> <laughs> is that what is that what fearless did yeah dude totally i mean oh like, man like we and like i remember i remember having a conversation with them you know it's like they're they, they hit us up first of all. We didn't go like seeking them out. Yeah. And was this and Bob? Like, was this Bob like, and Graham? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but but they were they were like you know they, they were they were really interested in working with us and they they liked the stuff that we had done. They're like this is awesome. Like you guys are great. Let's work together. And we're like cool. But but I was like you guys you get the you get the EP like you get what it's about. And like I remember Bob just going yeah we get it. It's real funny. Where's the fucking chorus? Huh? You know. But totally we get it. You know we. We, we want you guys to do your thing. You're good at it. Like, it's going to be awesome and stuff. And then, and then there was just a, you know, I guess just a weird, it's just a weird thing where their expectations were for uh, it to not be that. And like, we, you know, they had put out at the drive-in, you know, they'd done uh, that band Brazil. They'd done, you know, anatomy. Like, yeah. we just thought they're, you know, it's not everybody has to be swinging for the, Hey, they're Delilah fences. You know, it's oh, like, Jesus. Yeah. That song. <laughs> There's there's somewhere there's somewhere way below that that still you know makes a good return for the record label so it's it's beneficial for everybody but where we can you know explore our art and do our shit the way that we feel good about it like we weren't it's weird you know being an older you know I'm 40 now and I I do a lot of songwriting now and stuff and so it's like like I I am swinging for those kind of fences as much as I can um, and it's like it's it's weird to, to look back and think that there were a lot of bands back then that were not, you know, every time they came to the plate to, I'm going to write a new song. 
but they weren't trying to write the biggest song possible. They were like literally exploring stuff because it was enjoyable for them. And they thought that there, there was a group of people that would come with them on that journey. And, and that was like a really special thing. And it was like, that was, that was kind of all that I knew. I just thought that that's how the scene was. Like I grew up listening to like no effects and propaganda and like, you lagwagon and like these bands were like punk and they made their own rules mm-hmm. and they kept it eat, and it was like you know like we're not gonna you know we, we don't need to cater our approach towards anything we, we do what we fucking want and people come along with us and that was uh, you know and and you know we were we were good friends with like the blood brothers guys and like other bands in seattle that were like very out there too that were just kind of carving their own path and and it was working and you know so we just we just assumed that that's what it was and then you you kind of get exposed out to the, the larger music scene and, and bigger labels and stuff. And it's like, they're like, no, <laughs> it's like, we, that's not, we, there's, here's the, here's the path, get onto it, you know, put your wallpaper on the song, you know, your wrapping paper, make it, make it, you know, your guys' vibe, but the structure should be like this because that makes it easier for people to, you know, uh, buy in, I guess. So, yeah, that's so strange because it's like, what, what are you expecting to have? And I, and I know Graham and Bob very well. And, and, you know, this is something that's, it's funny because <laughs> they hated our demos so much for the new anatomy record because it was basically <laughs> parts, right? So they're getting that from us. They're getting, you know, the, they're getting volcano from you guys. And like the, they basically, they hated, they, they, I don't know what to do. I think their words were, I don't know what to do with this. And looking yeah. back, I realized that was basically a parts catalog for the first Portugal record that wasn't structured totally. into what it was. And that's how John writes. And it's just the way it was. And the fact that he didn't have that support from the label, he was kind of like, well, fuck it. We're just going to end this and go somewhere else. But what did they... In their right mind, what do they expect? And this is nothing on Bob or Graham. I like both of them very much, but no. but they, uh, in a business sense, like and and they've done well. Graham's out now, but like Bob's done very well with his signings lately. But he's getting what he's looking for. But if they like for something, sure. how do they know you can write a good chorus if you don't write them? You know, like how do they know <laughs> you can do that? It's like hiring a really good catcher and then saying, "All right, you're gonna get some home runs this week, right?" Like maybe he's just a really good catcher, you know. It's so weird to think about that they can just, okay, you got the popularity, you got the buzz. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to be able to just do this, these massive, you know, sing-along choruses. Probably not going to happen, you know? Like, I just don't understand the mindset there, you know? And it's so strange. I want to say, like, for the record, that I was was so pompous. You know, I was just, just absolutely, like just so into myself back then I thought I was like I knew so much about music and blah 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 and I was so pretentious and I you know it's like I was so arrogant and uh, you know I, I, I couldn't I couldn't even like comprehend this whole this whole schism between uh, us and them and like I look back you know in hindsight and I'm like i I feel bad that they had to deal with me because I was just such a shithead <laughs> because like, yeah, with other artists, I was not a shithead. Like I loved other bands and I was always very, very supportive, but with record labels and stuff, I was just like, like, no, 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 You don't get to have input on our art. We make the art and then you can do whatever you want with it to try to sell it and make money and stuff. But it's like, we, we do our thing and you stay out of that process. And like, I know today that, that <laughs> like, that's not the relationship that they were looking for. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just, I feel bad that they had to deal with us. You know, we were, we were trying to be an art band and, 
you know, I think that they wanted something else, but it's not like the writing wasn't on the wall that we weren't that band. Like we weren't going to be the main or the Mayday Parade or like whatever bands that they signed later on that like, you know, b- became these big pop bands. You know, like we, I don't know. It was, it was just a, I don't, I, I just, I wish that we wouldn't have, you know, gotten so contentious with them and just realized that this isn't a good fit from the get go, you know? And cause it, 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 it was too bad. Cause I think that, I think Volcano was a really special record and, um, you know, it, it, it really resonated, you know, when we were out touring on that record, it's like, we were just the, the band like on, on the tours where it was like, there was a lot of a buzz, a lot of heat and stuff. And it was exciting. And, mm-hmm. and it felt like, man, if this, if this could be a thing. And, um, you know, but it just, I don't know. The record after that was just like super mathy and weird and arty. Like we, more than anything, like I, like, I think that last record we just wanted to be Pretty Girls Make Graves, and, <laughs> and it was like they were, they were just like, like I remember going on a walk with Graham, and he was just like, look, he's like, you, you know, this record isn't good, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, it's, it's not a good record, and I was like, no, no, no. I was like, he's like, he's like it, it, it doesn't sound good, and I was like, it sounds how it's supposed to sound. Like we, we wanted it to be raw. You know, we wanted to like eschew, like we didn't want to use Pro Tools tricks. We didn't want to use the auto tune. We didn't want to, you know, have fucking fake violins going and just everything else that was becoming the thing at the time. And like, we wanted it to be raw. We really liked the punk vibe of the, the, the first Pretty Girls Make Graves record. We were like, this is, this is the spirit. This is the vision. And he's like, no, it's bad. <laughs> like, they, like they, they wanted us to go. Uh, like redo the record with uh, Luigi Ardato. Like they they sent him the record, the finished record, and we're like, hey, can you give us uh, production notes on this and like so, you know possibly re-record the album? And he he actually wrote like all these notes. It was very nice, but I was just like, what the fuck? Dude? We're a punk band, man. Like, we don't do that. We're not gonna go in and re-record these songs. And, like the, the, the notes. The notes were like, "Hey, this is a great part. Let's have it repeat three times." And I'm like, "Oh, you think? Like, we we don't repeat stuff like that. Like, we do it. It works organically, but we're not like, you know, oh, here's the big part. Let's do that four times. Like, in in hindsight, we probably should have, and we would have made a lot more money. But we were so just like, fuck you, nobody tells us what to do." Oh my god, I can totally see Graham saying that. I can totally just seriously put myself on that walk with you and see and know exactly the tone of voice and the look on the face. Oh man, that takes me back to he, so, he was so nice. He was so nice about I know. it. Like he, he was always nice to me. Like we we would go surfing together and stuff, and he was like he was just really, really nice and he was like but he was just straight up. He's like, you know, it's bad. It's a bad record. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and god you know what god bless all those guys like they you know they put up with a lot of our shit and like you know they were like they worked really hard and like they they broke a lot of big bands like that was a very seminal time in music you know people always look back to that decade and you know it's like it's like you're 20 years later and you know i thought in the in the 2010s that that's that scene and that vibe, you know, eventually people would start thinking of it like they thought of ska, you know, when we were coming up where it was like, it wasn't cool anymore. And, Mm -hmm. but it's like that, that stuff aged really well. And like, it's still really relevant today and people are still doing emo night and there was something special about it. And fearless was a big part of that. And they, they picked a lot of really cool bands and they broke a lot of really cool bands. And like, you know, I, I, I I just think it was a, it was a bad fit. And I was just too my way or the highway at the time. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean, and so is that what ended up 
ending things with Gatsby's is is the lack of support there, and then just in was it infighting? Like what what actually ended Gatsby's at the at the end there? Uh, we don't we don't really talk about it like outside of the band. Oh, um, gotcha. okay. You know, there there was there was a lot of of just that kind of stuff though, where we you know we we'd been it it, it all kind of ties into to it you know every part of, you know, a band breaking up, it just all kind of like exacerbates every other part. So it's like, you know, we, we may have not been getting along at the time and stuff, but it's like, that's after, you know, two, three years of working with a label that you were at odds with that you felt was kind of like you were fighting with because you wanted to be one thing and they had a different idea for what it, it could be. And mm-hmm. I want to, I want to go back to something you said earlier where you were talking about, you know, yeah, you, you know, the label's like, yeah, you've got the buzz and you've got the excitement and you've got the show and this is the cool thing, but the songs aren't there. And it's like the, I kind of get it now that, that you know, like I'm, I'm this much older and have been around, you know, the, the block a little bit, but it's like, but yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying a hundred percent. And like, I, but I, I kind of like understand where they were coming from because the, all that stuff that you mentioned is the hardest stuff to come by. You know, it's like, trying to capture something that is exciting and that is creating buzz and that like, you know, when, when you, I remember the first time I saw Fear Before the Market Flames on stage and I was like, Oh my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like they were so crazy. You didn't know if someone was going to die. And it was like that when I saw <laughs> you guys and when I saw, when I saw the, the blood brothers, you know, and it was like, it was, there was, it was lightning in a bottle. And I was like, gosh, if you could capture this, this would be Nirvana. This would be the biggest thing in the world. If you could just capture what's happening right now. And so it's like, it is that, that ability to create excitement and to do something that other people think is cool. That is the most elusive thing. And I feel like that's harder than any of the rest of it. You know, it's like, it's something John has always been so good at Mm -hmm. where he like, you know, I mean, he's obviously like an incredibly talented songwriter. He's an amazing singer. He's, he's just such a great instrumentalist, but like his, his ability to hear some fucked up weird thing go, no, that's the thing. And it's like, everyone else in the room is like, what? He's like, nope, that's it. And, and then it's like, yeah, that is it. Because everyone else in the world was like, holy shit, who came up with this? You know, like, cause he, he just has this, like this ear for, you know, that is the lightning. That is the thing. And it's like, you know, I think, I think that that's the thing with fearless that they recognize in Gatsby's is that for, for, you know, maybe like a two year period, we were like doing something that was very, exciting and like there was a lot of hype and buzz on the internet and we seemed kind of dangerous and so they were like well that's what we we need the danger we need this thing but can we you know how can we make it bigger how can we make it more commercial and stuff and we just we didn't know how to roll with that (laughs) that makes a lot more sense it makes a lot more sense and yeah i mean hearing it that way too i mean yeah that that's the hardest things to find i mean you're right you know um and, and they can always i mean if you guys were receptive to it they could always put you with a uh a john feldman or a you know like to go yeah. co-write some some choruses you know what i mean where uh i almost feel like there's a finite there's an infinite amount the guitar is infinite but like I almost feel like choruses and melody is almost finite where it's like, there's a certain amount of them and they can be used so many times and then it's over. <laughs> I, it, it's just, that's the kind of thing where the, the creativity on a, a guitar alone. I mean, if you look at the, the theory side of it, I mean, there's just so many combinations of things, but with choruses, especially in, in, uh, uh, or, or well, I guess in America, like the the non third world, non tribal uh, 
area, you know, because there's, you know, different, um, what is it? Is it in the Middle East? There's different um, scales and stuff like that. Yeah. So like there's a finite amount of courses that would do, do well on the radio. You know, at some point it's going to dry up. It just has to. I don't, I don't know. And it's not to, to shit on choruses either because it's also really hard to write a good chorus, I think. You know, and that's one thing Johnny told oh. me a long time ago when Portugal was just starting to get big was, you know, it's it's pretty damn hard to write a good pop song. Like writing a pop song is a lot harder than oh, writing yeah. like a metal song or writing it, you know, and it's different for everybody. But I, I took a lot from that because it's, yeah, it is. I mean, you got to you got to have this hook in there. You got to have like, you know, the substance. I mean, it's a lot more, a lot more is bared, I think out there in the world with a pop song versus a song where you can scream over and, and, you know, uh, play technically over, you know what I mean? Where it's, you're just kind of oh, open yeah. up. Um, and you know this better than anyone, because I mean, that's what you're doing. You're, you're, you're co-writing songwriting. And even back then what you were doing is, is just bearing your soul you know, not, not in some like, uh, um, unenunciated like scream fest, you know what I mean? Where it's like, you, yeah. you easily could have taken ribbons and sugar and made it an extremely metal, like just ferocious, <laughs> you know, onslaught record, right? Like you could, it could have gone the complete other direction, but putting it out as a pop record, that's just one of the best and it still holds up, you know, like, and I'm a uh, fan of the whole Gatsby's catalog, but that one does definitely, hold a special spot in my heart because of when it hit me in my life and who and when I knew you guys. And you know what I mean? It's like, it's a perfect record to me. Like it's one of those ones in my top Thanks, five. Man. Like I can just put on absolutely any time of day, sad, happy, n- indifferent, put it on. It works. You know, like there's enough there for, for anything, you know, and, and uh, that's not easy to do, man. And uh, I mean, cheers to you on that for so many levels, but even just on the pure songwriting side, I mean, it could have been just singing about whatever. The songs are there, you know, like it's it's a beautiful thing, and uh, I, I I appreciate it. I mean, it's it's definitely been you know, it's been just uh, a real I don't want to say cyclical journey, but like it, you know, I it's it's funny. This whole conversation has really just kind of captured the the whole my whole journey of songwriting and stuff, but it's like, you know, taking it back to ribbons and sugar and stuff and how we were talking about how writing about that kind of stuff is so much harder than writing about stuff that's cerebral for me. And, um, it's, but that's, it's kind of come full circle where, you know, now that I'm doing like a lot of songwriting and and co-writing and stuff where the things that really, really resonate with people are not, no, they're not the things that you think you're you're being super clever. It's it's the things that ring true that that have like authenticity and heart to them. And like it's like when you write something that just nails something like that, you know it, and everyone in the room knows it. And it's like, oh, that's it. And it's you know, it's the easiest thing in the world to be clever. And I hate to say that, but it's like you know, coming up with like with the witty you know turns of phrase and all that kind of stuff is fun. And it's it's you know, using alliteration and and you know, fancy rhyme schemes and like all of it, like time signatures and I mean, everything is like, it's that stuff, you know, it's, it's all good to have those in the toolbox and stuff, but it's like going back to, you know, what resonated with ribbons and sugar with you and why that record stood out to you and why it, you know, it, it really, it, that was always kind of a fan favorite, you know, for, for Gatsby's fans and stuff. And I think it is because we were, we were just, 
just writing such true things and like, you know, trying to be as authentic and true as possible without even thinking so hard about it. You know, like we were just really, really trying to get these, these, you know, real ideas out there and not, you know, I feel like with the later records, it's, it's, it's just kind of like you become, you become a little bit more self-aware and self-regarding and you, you realize that there's an audience on the other end waiting to hear it. And, and that kind of affects, you know, you just being conscious of yourself, like it, it impacts your process and, you know, you start writing with intent, uh, you know, for how is this going to be received and, um, and not necessarily just trying to put, you know, truth out into the world. And, and so like with, with, you know, songwriting, you know, with stuff that I'm doing right now is like, it's always, and John's always, he's just the, the best dude to like be bouncing shit off of. And it's like, <laughs> every time I try to be clever or like smart, he's just like, has to be, he's like, has to be dumber, Bob. Bob has to be dumber. <laughs> and like, not in a bad way, but he's, that's just, it's not because it's like the listener is dumb or anything like that, but it's because when, when you're trying to be smart, you're not being smart, you know? And, and it's like, so it's like, like stop overthinking and just, just be true, you know, like just be true and, and say something that is true and that's real and that's vital and, and, authentic and it, it'll resonate and and so it does kind of come full circle to like where i you know i i felt like that's where i was most at that point in my career was during ribs and sugar where i was like you know unintentionally and like not um you know with with any kind of plan or intent like where i was just like kind of exercising demons and self you know therapy and stuff and that's i think that's why that record kind of stands out Man, that's a that's a great way to put it, Bobby, and and that's a good spot to to wrap it. I think because that's yeah. we've well, what I'm saying. Like we've come, we went through the whole the whole gamut, and and I really I really appreciate you know how open you are with me, and and especially on the show. Like this show, I don't edit this show. Like I don't edit it at all, unless someone says, "Please take this part out." You know, which has happened. This will be like episode 149 or something like that. And I think it's happened twice. And, it, and I think one was like an album release date that shouldn't have been said yet. And then like another one was something like, I really think I've made that sound really awful. Um, you know, the things like that. I don't edit the show. Like I, I, I cut off the phone ringing and I cut off usually like the first <laughs> second or two. But I like to keep it really true and real, you know, to what what it was you know what i mean the same thing you trying to get at with music like uh, that's what yeah. people like about it like i assume a lot of a lot of people email me like hearing so and so say this inspired me to get clean or inspired me to talk to somebody or not pick that's up amazing. that pick up that gun or not pick up the 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 pills you know like or put down the pills wow. you know that happens all the time i can't even tell you how many times that's happened and I'll always email that person back, you know, personally and say, you know, I'm so glad, you know, but what I'll also do is I'll send that to the person I was talking to and say like, like, see, this is like a real thing, you know, like even, even with, uh, with Dan Sanchot or his episode, you know, a dude email me and, and this super heartfelt email about how just hearing Dan and I go back and forth about these things, like really helped him, you know, get inspired to do this, blah, 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 you know, like, uh, I assume that'll probably happen with this episode. You know what I mean? But like, it's, it's so important for people to be real with people and, and hearing just in your own, when you do a podcast and people listen to it regularly, like you become a part of their subconscious cause they can't see you. You're, you're going directly into their ears yeah. and into their brain. 
And so when you say things, people abuse this sometimes. When you say things, people will believe it or people will buy it, you know, uh, yeah. more so than just hearing it for the first time. So this show is something I take very seriously with with the content and, you know, putting out real things. So when people do hear it and it does affect them, that it affects them in a real way. And that's something I think we really accomplish here. And, and you know, I like I said, I appreciate you sharing so much with me too. And I mean, it means the world to me. These songs mean the world to me. You know, your friendship means the world to me. And I, I just love being able to do this on this level to where people are going to hear it and, and be able to take part in that too. You know what I mean? And I just really appreciate it. It's magical reconnecting with you. Like for real, like I, it's such a treat, like just even just getting the email and go like, Oh my God. And like just texting you the past few days. is just like, put a spring <laughs> in my step, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I mean it like it's, it's been, it's been super cool. I feel, I feel silly, you know, that people would even listen to me talk on a podcast, but I, I really enjoyed just talking with you. So anytime you want to do this and not be recording, I, I'm more than happy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Dude. And please say hi to Billy for me. And uh, also who didn't get mentioned on this episode or in, I don't know if it was in Kirk's episode either. You were playing with one of the best drummers I've ever seen. Rudy, who Oh my God. Uh, that also those, <laughs> that's one thing. Like I can't look past that. I, I hate to save it for the end, but, but Rudy is one of the greatest drummers I have ever seen. And yep. his whole face, Mark too, like they're both just virtuosos. Yeah. But I'm definitely going to have Rudy on, too, if, if he agrees to it and, and talk about it. But that was one part that really, I mean, that you feel it in your heart. You know, you feel that it's like a train. Like, it's so good. I would tune into that episode. I, I just I think that Rudy is, you know, probably the greatest, you know, drummer that I've ever heard. I mean, the most the most creative player, the best meter. Uh, I mean, he's just oh. he's he's just out of this world. Like there's nothing like it. It's like we, we would play warp tour and like all these other bands would come and stand side stage and just watch Rudy. You know, yeah. like, they were probably like, <laughs> they're probably like, who are these losers? But they would like come and watch Rudy. Cause it was like, dude, have you seen Gatsby's drummer? Cause no one, no one's like, Hey, have you seen Gatsby? It's like, have you seen Gatsby's drummer? Cause he was, he was that like out of this world. Like, and he's the most unassuming guy. He was never like, Oh yeah, I'm a sick drummer. He was just like, Oh yeah, I play the drums, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Like you've never seen. Um, oh my yeah, god! I hope you have him on because, and he's he's also just a, the, the funniest, like quirkiest guy. I love hearing him talk about stuff. So I would love that if you had him on sometime. I'll hit him. <laughs> I'll hit him up today and see and see what he says. But uh, yeah, man, thank you so Y'all, much. Thank you so much, Bobby. I really appreciate it, man. And and uh, like I said, I won't repeat myself again. But yeah, th- thank you so much for so many reasons. Oh, dude! Th- thanks for for having me on, and uh, let's uh, let's let's keep in touch and do this without the uh, tape rolling next time. Absolutely, we will. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll All talk right. soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation uh, with Bobby from Gatsby's American Dream as much as you could. Um, I know there's some tough stuff in there, but I, it's all part of part of uh, a story that is important, and you know. Uh, Bobby going through those things, you know, turned into such a beautiful um, output on that record, and, and it really shaped a lot of his life for a long time. And he has since been able to forgive and move past and and see uh, the beautiful gift that his mom ended up giving to him. Um, 
you know, on, on how to continue in his life and how now a lot of us in our forties or late thirties are seeing where our parents, where we are now, where our parents were when we thought everything was so fucked up and crazy. And it kind of gives you some perspective. And I had never really thought about it like that until he mentioned that. And, you know, I'm 38, just turned 38 in May and fuck, man, my parents were, uh, they didn't have any idea what they were doing, uh, just like I don't, you know. And looking back is just crazy to see where they were then and where we are now. And, uh, you know, it just gives me some perspective. So hopefully you guys got the same thing from that. Um, and if my voice sounds a little bit different, I'm talking through this new uh, Rode pod mic that I picked up. I uh, kind of like it. It's a, a heavy-duty machine, and I'm not uh, – at this point, I'm not endorsed by Rode, but – um, if you guys notice, it sounds a little bit different. This thing's pretty badass. This mic was literally, I bought it used for 50 bucks, but it's a hundred bucks and it sounds pretty rad and it's uh, built like a tank. So definitely check that out if you're in the podcast world. Um, anyways, shout out to road. <laughs> All right, guys. So, uh, we got big stuff coming up. We got a lot more, uh, great conversations in the can already. So those will be coming out in the near future. Uh, should have some big stuff to talk about soon. I hope. Uh, but guys, thank you again to uh, Johnny Minardi for hooking this up. Thanks again to Bobby for uh, you know putting up with me for an hour and a half and and uh, or more than that. And uh, to Billy, shout out to Billy because I know you're probably listening to this. Uh, miss you, buddy, and uh, hope you're well. And hopefully uh, you got through this episode okay. Um, all right, guys, I I talked your ear off in the intro. I usually don't do that, and uh, I'm talking your ear off again. So go check out Thunderbolt Guitars on Instagram. Hit up peerpleasurepod at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions on this episode, um, want to reach out with anything, let me know. Peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website for everything you need for the show, for uh, past episodes. You want to turn a friend onto the show, send them there. All right, guys. As always, we'll see you on the radio. It's a broken house, but he can't
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.